Day 156 of Shaped by the Word, Season 2, The Drum of Scripture. And we are, as we've said in many episodes, uh, experiencing high drama as we see this transitional period in the nation of Israel, which is is not going as smoothly as we'd like to see it. Uh, we're transitioning from a time of judges and uh, individual tribal loyalties to becoming a nation under under one king. And, of course, the purpose of that king uh, would be to point them to God, the true king, and to live in such a way that uh, always makes people aware of who he is. And, of course, the first king is the kind of king the world would choose. He's a head taller uh, than every other person in Israel, and he's more handsome than most in Israel. He has kind of the look of the height and appearance of a kingly man, and he starts off humble, and he starts off well, but uh, he uh, wants to hold on to power. So we have in, in this part of you know Samuel the uh, ascendancy of David as a king who will not be a perfect king by any measure, but a king after God's own heart, and of course the fall you know, of Saul as his uh, inner demons in, in a literal way. Uh, began to take over and rule his life. Mm. So I'm Paul Kemp here with David Keefe, Katie Kresge, and Matt Kresge as we continue our journey through First uh, Samuel. And we do as we always do. We uh, we love the fact that God has given us his word. Uh, we don't always understand everything in his word, but we receive it as his gift. We know that it is inspired by his spirit. Every part of it is breathed out from him and by his word through his spirit he reveals himself to us and continues to build us up in christ jesus and so we're deeply thankful for the moment and and, and it's a holy moment it's a relational moment we're not uh, coming to the word to learn theology or a few new bible names or just to check off a list on our discipleship things to do list as we move on to our life we're coming to see the face of god and also to see a reflection uh, of ourselves. So uh, before we uh, read, David, do you mind lifting us up a word of prayer? Yeah, let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your word. Um, what a deep treasure it is. Um, thank you so much for the beauty of your scriptures and, and the story uh, of Christ told from beginning to end. Um, help us to behold your word. Forgive us for the times we belittle your word. Um, but we do ask now that as we turn to your scriptures, your spirit would uh, illumine your word. Awaken our hearts um, to see and to behold you. And in that, uh, may we have a fresh sense of who you are, uh, your heart towards us, who are often so far from you. And may you be glorified as we read your word now. We pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, that's a great prayer, David. And of course, we belittle the word, you know, not so much by making fun of it, but, but not... Allowing it to be as powerful as it could be in our life. Uh, let's pick up uh, where we left off yesterday in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel. Uh, then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he'll be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there's only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, Look, tomorrow is the new moon feast, and I'm supposed to dine with the king. 
but let me go hide in the field until evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says very well, then your servant is safe, but if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself while I hand me over to your father. Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, Who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went out together. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely send out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the noon moon feast. You'll be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you're hid. Then... Uh, when this trouble began, and wait by the stone of Ezel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, Go after the arrows. If I say to him, Look, the arrows on this side of you, bring them here, then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe, there is no danger. But if I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go, because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember the Lord's witness between you and me forever. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon feast came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall, opposite Jonathan. Abner sat next to Saul, but David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he's unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son Jonathan, Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because our family was observing a sacrifice in the town. My brother has ordered me to be there. If I found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. Saul hurled his spirit him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger on that second day of the feast. He did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David, and he had a small boy with him. And he said to the boy, Run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, Isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, Hurry, go quickly, do not stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing about all this, only Jonathan and David knew. 
Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is a witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. Somebody needs to take that javelin away from Saul. (laughs) It's become a very dangerous kind of little thing hanging around at the dinner table. Uh, So let the deeper lesson of this is leave your weapons aside when you come to the new moon feast. (laughs) So we read this passage, and of course you see the deepening friendship uh, you know of David and, and Jonathan, and of course that's the biblical design. You know for friendship, mm-hmm. uh, when you have that one little phrase that uh, he loved Jonathan as he he loved mm-hmm. himself, and of course you see them uh, embracing each other, and you see them uh, you know weeping. David weeping, you know the most for what this means and the loss. You know that means as well. So it's a wonderful passage in that aspect, but it's also a hard passage, and you see uh, the downward spiral. You know, Saul as well. Ironically, he's saying, as long as David lives, you have no chance for a kingdom. Then he tries to kill Jonathan himself, which also would mean he has no chance uh, mm-hmm. for a kingdom. But, of course, we spoke about that yesterday when sin uh, takes root. It uh, becomes irrational and it becomes in- incredibly destructive, and you mm-hmm. continue to see that in-, in this chapter. So what are some of the other things uh, you know, that we find in, the, uh, in this chapter that stand out to us? This might be nothing, but I did notice that when Saul at the table is talking about David, he refers to him twice as the son of Jesse. And it makes me wonder if he's just removing kind of that personal aspect and he's just seeing, he's not seeing him as this true like person that he has loved in the past, but he's in his anger and his hatred toward him is like removing kind of that personal aspect. I don't know. That was just an interesting that that he uh, that he's not calling him by name. Well, Saul is uh, certainly not beyond blaming relatives yeah. uh, for the ill. So the problem is really not the way that uh, Saul has treated Jonathan or has raised John. That he is a uh, son of a rebellious and wicked woman. Yeah, uh, to her shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, there there is a sense, you know, that uh, Saul is looking around as he's looking for someone to blame. He's not looking in the right place. And of course, again, that's true. And since captivated our heart, we tend to justify our actions and uh, judge other people's actions uh, and far more harshly mm-hmm. than they deserve. And of course, that's uh, why Jesus, in a kind of commends to us that uh, we quit picking at specks in other people's mm-hmm. eyes and observe, you know, the beams in our own eyes, and then mm-hmm. certainly. There is one in Saul's heart and his eye, you know, here as well. That makes me think of a post. um, A friend of mine posted a question on Facebook yesterday asking what is um, just, what's like the worst thing for, to hinder a Christian experience. It was was worded a little different, but I can't remember exactly how it was worded. But what is the one thing that, um, that can get in the way of a, a good Christian experience? And I thought the question was worded interestingly, but um, my first inclination was to think of all the outward things that um, that can like totally ruin our lives. But it, when it comes down to it, it's sin, right? I mean, it's our own sin and um, the brokenness um, of the world, of this fallen world. But 
I think it's so true that we see in Saul like that he's looking outward and he's looking at all the different things that he can blame. Yeah. When uh, if he would have looked inward, I mean, how would that have? How would this whole experience for everybody have changed? I mean, and how often do we do that ourselves? Look outward and look for things mm-hmm. to blame. No, there's and there's no you know there's no greater indication that we're as far from God as as we could possibly be when we or smug and complacent about our own sin and judgmental and harsh about other people's, uh, you know, sin, you know, sin as well. Mm-hmm. So, that, you know, that, you know, that is a marker. And, and of course, in both Old and New Testament, God has identified himself as someone who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, mm-hmm. uh, one who uh, does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, but mm-hmm. has separated them as far as the East is, you know, from the West. So, uh, there's an invitation to him to come to him, to be honest with him, and to be restored to him, and and being restored to him, to be restored to the blessing of walking with him and and, and knowing him with him. And, and, and you're right, Katie, harboring harboring sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, David would later later write one of the Psalms. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I entertain it, then the Lord will not hear me. Mm-hmm. I love kind of tucked away in this passage. This. Um, kind of like renewal or this covenant between Jonathan and David. And he says, you know, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Like he knows what's coming. You know, and as we read through um, Samuel, we begin to see this play out that, mm-hmm. you know, you get Mephibosheth who is the lame son of Jonathan and, and boy, we've really skipped way ahead in our story, oh, no. Matt. <laughs> but just can't, Matt can't help actually, himself. But it's actually a chapter we're not going to get to read together. Uh, okay. But I, I just love, like, tucked away in here, I mean, it's, it seems, it just seems so forgotten. You know, it's like this this moment right here is going to be really, it, it seems so insignificant. You know, Jonathan's just saying, you know, hey, be faithful to me. May the Lord's kindness be evident. I know the Lord's going to cut off all your enemies. You know, he, you are the king. And, and yet what we'll see is David upholds this. And and sure enough, Mephibosheth, you know, the son of David, because of this covenant, will be in the presence of David, eating at his table, enjoying fellowship. Son of Jonathan, mm-hmm. because of this this time, you know, this moment where uh, David and Jonathan, you know, yeah. covenant together. But it's just, I think, a reminder to us. Well, and, and, and we should be reminded deeply of what covenant love is. Yeah. Covenant love is a deep-hearted, you know, commitment. Uh, and you see it when uh, you you have the conversation about uh, showing unfailing kindness to me as as that of the Lord, and and of course covenant is not based on uh, your emotion or your feeling at the moment. It's based on a deep seated commitment and faithfulness, you know, to your word and to a promise. Mm-hmm. And of course God has has done that to us. And so you even have passages where we you see that He regretted that He made Saul king, or He regretted that He had made. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, you know, the emotion of the moment is one of great sorrow as he looks upon the tragedy of you know, dark moments in our life, his commitment is beyond uh, that overwhelming, you know, feeling of the moment. Of course, we're not getting into the theological issue of the impassibility of God, you know, here at this point. We're just getting into, you know, the description, you know, that we have. And, and so our friendships ought to be based not on how we're feeling, you know, at the moment, more than that, our commitment to God, not on how we're feeling at the moment, because God's mm-hmm. uh, commitment to us uh, is far beyond uh, 
our, our behavior or our loveliness in any given moment. He loves us because he's lavished his grace on us and has adopted us as his sons and daughters and is deeply mm-hmm. committed to us. Mm-hmm. Father, thank you for the beauty of who you are. Thank you for the covenant commitment you have to us. And Father, may we bring a pattern of, of, of faithfulness to our relationship with you and to those around us, those in the body of Christ, those beyond the body of Christ as well. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.